You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I'm uh, at, at the the request of plenty of people. I'm looking for a more experienced uh, co-host to this podcast. I'm thinking maybe uh, maybe Rex Hunt. I'll reach out to. He's a uh, he's a uh, someone that's really modern and, and up to date with uh, with podcasting and uh, and the game, isn't he? Um, I'm not sure. I've definitely missed a Rex Hunt story. And I will say this. At the start of all these episodes now, I do feel that I need to follow all the obscure news stories from the 24-hour cycle previously because um, I, I do feel I've been caught a little bit flat-footed here with some of these. But what's what's Rex up to? What's he doing? It's got nothing to do with Rex. It's got to do with David King suggesting that North Melbourne goes for an experienced senior coach yeah. going back as far as Mick Malthouse. Now, you can say you want an experienced head coach. That's fine. How did Big Malthouse go in his last uh, go with a team that was potentially struggling a little bit in Carlton? And some of the things that Malthouse is, uh, has been coming out and saying uh, in his media gigs would lead me to believe that perhaps he isn't the number one guy that you'd want to come in and deal with a club who's potentially in a little bit of crisis at the moment with a bunch of young players and younger players coming in. I, I, I couldn't, I probably could think of a worse coach, but there wouldn't be too many more that, that, that would be worse than getting someone like a Mick Malthouse in and this whole like you know, experienced guy to install discipline. I'm not sure that's necessarily what works at this point. No, Mick Malthouse is washed. He's not coming back as a coach. It would be a poor decision to go down that path uh, based on what we saw uh, with the Blues when they actually moved on from a younger, uh, more innovative coach in Brett Ratton, who, you know, it took a long time for Ratton to get that opportunity again. And we've seen the success he had uh, straight up in, in St. Kilda again after really a, a huge career set. To get an opportunity after that, despite the fact he did a really good job with the Blues when he was there. So Malthouse would be a bad uh, a really bad path to go down. I mentioned the other day that in some ways I agree that they should get an experienced coach. I don't know why Malthouse would be uh, the one that you would go down. I know we already mentioned uh, Paul Ruse, but also I, I think an experienced assistant coach, if there's one out there that's been in the system for a long, long time, understands the modern trends of the game, perhaps that would be a path they would go down. Because again, uh, we are talking about North Melbourne, who probably, let's be honest, if they're paying uh, Reece Shaw and they're paying Brad Scott, they're not going to be spending a lot of money on a coach. Like, let's be serious about that. So I think that there is some limitations there. Uh, but yeah, no, I wouldn't be going down the Malthouse path. I think there's something to be said for the fact that they need someone in there that is experienced, not only for hopefully changing the culture of North Melbourne, but also riding the bumps that they're going to have to go through. I mean, you're going to have to be making a hire with a coach that is going to have to sit there and walk in the door and say, all right, I understand this is, <laughs> this is going to be pretty rough. Yeah, it is. It is going to be pretty rough. I'm really interested to see what they end up doing with this position. But we'll talk more about that once we hear more clarity on it. But there's something, Kane, that you now I'm going to throw you right off because we spoke a little bit about the show before we started. And I said, oh, maybe I'll allude to a few things um, regarding the Brad Crouch scenario. But just as I say this, there's actually an official report coming out backing up exactly what I told you that I found out a few days ago that, and this is absolutely brilliant from Adelaide to be able to do what, what they're looking to do here. 
is that in order to get this pick number two compensation pick, which we all agree is one of the largest loads of horse shit that you could find. But what that means is St. Kilda needs to pay Brad Crouch a massive contract in order to trigger that number two pick. So St. Kilda and Adelaide are getting together. This is a Gary Lyon reporting this uh, this morning on SEM Breakfast. And this is, again, lines up with everything that I've heard over the last three days about this, is that they will pay Brad Crouch more than they they value him and more than they were willing to pay him immediately. And that would then trigger that pick two compo going towards Adelaide. Adelaide, as they won't look to match Brad Crouch, because if they did match him, they'd have to force a trade, and the best they could get would be St. Kilda's top pick, which is like 12 or 13 or something along those lines. That's not the same. So having this agreement, hey, we won't match if you pay him this extra amount, so we get pick two back in compo. And then to alleviate that extra salary that St. Kilda's paying that they weren't willing to pay Crouch just as a a one-off standalone deal, Adelaide will be taking back some players from St. Kilda for really, really low draft picks to make that salary difference work out. And the two names that Gary Lyon has thrown out here are Luke Dunstan and Jimmy Webster. So just taking them back for like six round picks, fifth round picks, future six round, whatever it is, just to alleviate the salary of those two guys to get that number up for Crouch, which then triggers that pick two combo pick. So it is absolutely brilliant negotiation from Adelaide to be able to get that. And it highlights how absolutely ludicrous this system is that teams can come together to do this and enable. And while it's all good, oh yeah, but Adelaide loses a player, they should get compensation. That's bullshit. But what it does, it hurts the team who are picking a pick two, North Melbourne, and the teams that pick three and pick four, because they'll get pushed down one spot. So I don't see how this has any fairness, but unbelievably good work from Adelaide if they actually can pull this off. Yeah, we've seen similar situations where teams have come together to work out the best case scenario for both teams, um, whether it is a free agent that a team, uh, we haven't seen too many teams match deals, first of all, but we've seen situations where that could have been the case where a contract could have been matched or just the compensation would have been the return. And then we've seen teams come together and say, well, okay, uh, why don't we just arrange a trade here? Why don't we arrange a trade? Both can benefit from this situation and a lot of the times it is because it is mutual uh there is the mutual benefit uh, for both teams to do that as you said uh, st kilda not only do they sign brad crouch but perhaps then they're like okay well we need to get rid of one of our mid-level contracts whether it's webster whether it's dunston uh so that is a sweet deal there and i, I think for adelaide this is a guy that was going to leave uh, regardless so i think maximizing the return you get is clearly just good business i will say that i think st kilda you know, given the circumstances, I don't know whether Brad Crouch is a guy that you want to be in your top couple paid players at the club. So in some respects, you'll sit there and say, OK, well, St. Kilda's taking a real risk here uh, because down the line, what is this going to do to them? Because we've spoken about the fact that they need to take the next step. They've acquired all these guys from other clubs uh, last off season. This is kind of their this is almost their, their chips all in move here. We know they've got some young players that will continue to develop. But when you look at a guy like Jack Steele, well, how much better is he going to get? He was fantastic this season uh, as it was. Uh, Butler, can he play to the level that he played at this season? Time will tell. So I think there's still some growth from within for St. Kilda. But this is certainly a chips all in move to to, uh, not only acquire Brad Crouch, but to go down the path of the, the deal you've just outlined by paying him more than they probably actually want to. The other thing it does for St. Kilda as well is while there is that extra risk of paying that extra money, it lets them keep their first round pick. Because if they yep. paid him 500000 a year and that triggered an end of the first round or a second round combo pick to Adelaide, Adelaide said, well, we match it. St. Kilda, give us a trade. Give us your first rounder. In this case, St. Kilda loses nothing. Like, And that's how free agencies should work. 
you, know, you shouldn't have to lose anything to get a player like that, but it is gaming the system. But fantastic. Adelaide's got a great analytics department and a great yeah, list management type scenario where I think this is absolutely in their best interest, but it highlights just how ridiculous this whole system is. We did have some more player movement uh, news. Mitch Hannon has nominated the Western Bulldogs as a team he's interested in, while Jai Caldwell has nominated Essendon. It was coming down to him, uh, but he, Essendon and St. Kilda. So he's going to be headed to um, uh, to Essendon, it appears. We've seen Orazio Fantasia say that he wants to go to Port Adelaide. Zach Langdon from the Giants looking to move to West Coast. And another one that you've highlighted here is that maybe Port has some interest in Aliyah Aliyah, who... I think was probably a little bit lost this season. He just didn't really talk about him that much. He didn't seem to have that that impact. Uh, had some injuries as well. But is he that guy that can come down and be that uh, that big defender that Port Adelaide seems like they really need to take that next step? Well, first of all, let's let's be clear. Alia Alia is not as good a player as Dougal Howard. He's just not. So no. Port Adelaide still, regardless, I, I think that this is clearly the Dougal Howard hole that they're trying to fill here. But He's not the same level player. So Aaliyah Aaliyah uh, just turned 26. So the age bracket is fine. He fits the profile that Port Adelaide going for. 195 centimeters, 97 kilos. Uh, you know, big guy. A big guy. I mean, we spoke about uh, Tom Jonas, who's high 180s in height there. Uh, a guy that, you know, obviously has been a key player for those, but doesn't have the size uh, to go with the monsters, to go with the Tom Hawkins, these types of players. Uh, and Tom Cleary as well has had, him, has, has had his struggles. So they needed another key uh, type defender. So that's clearly why they would go for Alir Alir. He played 14 games this year, down from really being a regular member of the Swans team years previous. The one stat that stands out to me when I look at Alir Alir uh, this season, 21 contested defensive one-on-ones. He lost 50% of those. So he lost 10 out of the 21 defensive one-on-ones. And that's always a little bit of a concerning number uh, for key defenders when you look at that because one-on-ones are critical if they're acquiring Aaliyah Aaliyah to be that key defender and say, okay, you are going to be the guy that's going to play on Tom Hawkins, that's not a good number uh, for those one-on-ones there. But nonetheless, Aaliyah Aaliyah in the past has played some pretty good footy, and it makes sense that they were trying to acquire a guy like this. We're going to move more into player movement stuff next week after we've got the last game of the season out of the way, which is tomorrow. So there's way more we could talk about about Caldwell and the exodus from GWS, but we've got a grand final to talk about. Kane, and uh, we're here. It's it, it, We finally got here. There was doubt that we were going to get here. In the end, it is you know, two of the best teams in the league making it. Yeah, you can talk about you know, maybe this scenario would throw up some real wildcard scenarios. It didn't at all. You know, no one would be is surprised at all to see Richmond and Geelong, I think, in the grand final. The big question, and we had this question last week, is it where do you play Paddy Dangerfield? Do you play him up forward? Do you play him in the guts? And the question here, again, is is asked. It's still asked of Geelong, but it's also going to be asked of Richmond. What do you do with Dustin Martin? Is he better served? You have a 50-50 split, a 60-40 midfield split, a 70-30 forward split. Like, where is the... Obviously, you can answer this with the trite response, well, I'd love to have two, but <laughs> you don't. So what, what do we do here with Dustin Martin? Or is it a, let's see what happens in the game, where are we needing him at this specific moment and just throw him around that way? Well, it's been highlighted a little bit uh, across, I guess, AFL media over the last couple of weeks. But the last few weeks, we've seen Dustin Martin more in the midfield. And we've seen Richmond being able to turn around their clearance issues that they've had throughout the season. Now, uh, a lot of that has been personnel-based. We've spoke about this a lot. So Cochin missed extended period of time. Uh, Prestia obviously missed a, missed a lot of time. Uh, Edwards as well. I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, they had a bunch of guys that were out. So now they've basically got their full complement in there. But the way they're using Dustin Martin 
and it's again this has been highlighted a lot this is not something that that uh, I can claim to to use uh, my own mind to come up with but what they've been doing is they've been sending him to the stoppages in the middle and then he drifts forward so they get the best of both worlds we know that Richmond set up behind the ball as well as any team in the league they're a great intercept team with guys like Grimes and Nick Vloston so they back their defense in and they also uh, will uh, trust the guys from that half-back line to generate enough ball to the half-forward line where Dustin Martin is as dangerous as anyone. When I look at his last, or he, really his final series, and and I think, you know, at this point, and we've spoken about it through the year, and it's no secret, the bigger the game, the more scared you have to be about Dustin Martin. But when you look at the two finals, uh, the Brisbane game that Richmond obviously lost, but then they bounced back in the St. Kilda game, at 10 inside 50s in both of those games. He averaged five clearances per game there as well and over 20 disposals as well as kicking a goal. So he's in uh, he's in peak form. He's in peak finals form. Uh, I think he's so damaging around the stoppages. He's pumping those balls inside 50. But then I think you're going to see him drift forward. And I think that's the terrifying part for the Cats. Who's the matchup? Who are you going to put on him? Well, you're probably in better place to to answer that for me. Like, who who is the guy that if he goes forward, like in the midfield, you've got players you can chuck in there. We know, you know, the work that the some of these bigger Geelong midfielders have have um, taken on. Um, but who who does get him down back? Do you, do you try and like get someone who can go athletically with him? Like, would you throw Blitzarves onto him at all? Even though your Blitzarves obviously a lot taller, and then you've still got to have Lynch and uh, Rewalt covered off. Like, who is that guy that goes to him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be Jake Kolodjasny. I think he's going to be the guy. Uh, we saw him last week, and he's super versatile. Kolodjasny, I think, underrated defender. Uh, we saw him in, in the first week he played on Robbie Gray. We saw him in the second week uh, he played on Charlie Cameron. Cameron kicked the first two goals, and then Kolodjasny was was really dominant uh, from there on out. But the reason for his ability to be dominant against a player like Charlie Cameron was because there was a lot of balls in the air. And Kolodjasny is very strong, good hands, good in one-on-one contests. But uh, I, I just just to give you a little tip here, I, I think Dustin Martin might be a little bit stronger in one-on-one contests than Charlie Cameron. So I think that Kola Jasny will be the guy when he goes forward to get that matchup. But the problem is Dustin Martin's too explosive for Kola Jasny. He's too explosive for Mark Blitzavs. Mark O'Connor is a guy that could probably keep up with Dustin Martin, certainly speed-wise, but he's not really strong enough for Dustin Martin. So this is the problem that every team has with Dutty, he's just a complete package. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think you can only hope to uh, limit the damage rather than stop him. I, I, there's no way I can see Dustin Martin having a quiet game tomorrow. I just, I just don't see it. It would be a surprise for sure because this is a guy that's always excelling in these big games and you know trying to match up. And even if you do, you know, put every resource you have into slowing down Dustin Martin, that just means someone else gets that extra opportunity. If you're throwing <laughs> two guys at him every time he gets the ball, you're just getting that extra opportunity for somebody else to come in there. So what you highlighted is something I did want to talk about later on is the way that they use him and they chuck him in the guts and then they just put him up forward after that and let him sort of run run that way, yeah, half forward, forward line. He's always going to pop up and kick goals, and not only just easy goals, like the, the tough goals that you know, making something out of nothing is one of those key things. We saw it last week. We kicked that left foot snap you know, in the sure. last quarter, I think it was. We go, there's no way. How's this going in? But he gets the ball. There it is. And you go, well, that's yeah, put put a knife into, into Port Adelaide. That's the end of them. If he's kicking goals like that. And then he seemingly does that almost every week. And this is the situation that, that's made for Dustin Martin. And whoever gets that opportunity, whether it is College Asney or you know, they have to throw other guys in there, it is always going to be a, a tough sort of matchup. Do you think that the projected wet weather has an impact on where they play, Dusty? 
Um, I, no, I don't. Just because he's so good in, in all conditions. I mean, we've seen him cut up grand finals in the dry. We saw him last Friday night in Adelaide in the wet. He's dangerous wherever he goes. And and the big thing is with Dangerfield. I mean, he just he uh, sorry not Dangerfield, but Dustin Martin is that he just identifies weaknesses in the opposition. I mean, he knows how to beat you. He knows what he's going to have to do to win the contest. And that's why last week you, is exactly what you just highlighted. Him moving from the midfield to the forward line. He got that one-on-one with Darcy Byrne-Jones. And, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's a complete joke. But the only reason he got that matchup is because uh, Martin was confused to put Adelaide defenders drifting all over the place. It comes back from a stoppage. Oftentimes, the, the back line is left scrambling. It's like, who's going to go to him? Byrne-Jones uh, was the unlucky guy who got sent to him. And Martin's like, all right, well, we're going inside 50 here and I'm going to outmark you. It's just, uh, he's just, he's smart. He's got great skills. He's strong. I, I don't know. He, he's, as I said, I, I've, I've said it during the year. Um, and we sort of went back and forth on it because at, at times his home and away form is up and down. But I, I, I mean, he's the best player in the comp, I feel like. It, it's, it's when he's at his best and when it's a big game, I don't think there's a player in the comp you'd rather have. You see a lot of it. Yeah, over on, and this is what, how I spend my time, you know, looking at Twitter comments under game hashtags and people complaining. Oh, God, if the player that AFL media thought Dustin Martin was actually, then he'd you know, yeah, win the Brownlow every year. <laughs> He's never that good. He's overrated. You guys hype him up. He only has yeah, 18 touches, but it's oh. really not what, what it's about. And as you said, like when he gets the ball, you, you shit yourself, whether that yeah. is as an opposing player, which I'm not saying that Darcy Byrne-Jones was scared. But as soon as he saw that ball coming in and he was one-on-one with Dustin Martin, he panicked and he didn't play the ball. He said, where the hell is Dusty? Can mm-hmm. I get a body on him? What am I going to do? And Dustin just took that mark, really, without, without any sort of concern at all. And that's what I mean by shitting yourself. He puts that extra idea in your head of, God, it's Dustin Martin. What is? What am I going to do here? Because he's too quick for me. He's too strong for me. He, it doesn't matter what position he's in. He's going to kick a goal anyway. What what do I do? And, and that's what he's able to do, whether that is in 15 touches or 20 touches. And God forbid if he has 30 touches. And <laughs> yeah, living it up with, with that sort of strength and you try and tackle him. And just having that extra attention there just opens up everything for, for other players. And that's why he is so impactful. It's not about pure volume because if you're talking pure volume, then you look guys like the aforementioned Brad Crouch. Like there's a guys that are having tons of disposal, but you're not worried about them getting the ball that much. But when Martin gets it, it's something happening through its pure, almost you know, raw strength. But it's not just that. It's it is an ability to hit a target and to just will the ball and to make the other team panic. So he's really ridiculously good. And he's always been able to elevate his games in these sort of uh, matchups and the, the big stage. And while I, I am loath to always into a big game player and you know, not overawed, it just appears to be the case for Dustin that, that he's never... He's really, I can't even think, has he ever had a quiet game in a finals game? I, I can't really recall it. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. And that's why part of me actually believes that for the Cats, you probably, and, and you, you know, I mean, he's probably going to damage you either way, but you probably feel a little bit more comfortable the further away from goals he is. So perhaps if you're Geelong, if you see him playing a lot of time, uh, around the midfield and and he's forced to do that because the cats are doing damage around the stoppages and that's a huge win so i i think that's what it comes down to how do you stop dustin martin you're probably not going to but if the cats can win the ball around the stoppages and force damien hardwick to say okay we can't afford to have dustin martin hang around half forward we need him around the ball that's probably as close as you're going to get to a win 
Yeah, exactly. And the the closer he gets to goal, the more damaging it is. Because we know that Richmond, once they get in the forward half, it doesn't really leave that area all that easily. So it's not like, well, if he's down forward, he's just not going to get a handle on the ball. They'll get it forward and then it will stay there and he'll have plenty of opportunities to impact the game if he is down there. Kane, what are we looking at statistically for this game? What's our, our focus? Um, you know, what's the stat to watch in this matchup between Geelong and Richmond? Well, for me, it's Geelong's uh, efficiency inside 50. So I don't have any doubt that the Cats are going to win the footy in this game. I don't have any doubt that they're going to get their hands on the ball around the stoppages. I, I don't see Geelong getting uh, smoked in the, in the disposals, smoked in the stoppages. I just It's hard for me to see that happening. I think that it's going to be a battle around the ball. We know the Cats have the big bodies in there to match it with really anyone in the comp. So if I go back to round 17, a game that, Let's be honest, the Cats were thoroughly dominated by Richmond, really, from start to finish. Halfway through the last quarter, the Cats got a bit of a run on, but you know, it, it, by that point, the game was over. So the disposal count in that game, though, the Cats plus 32 in that game, 305 disposals to Richmond, just 273. The inside 50s, 40 to 42, so pretty even. But the Cats weren't able to score. They only kicked five go- uh, four goals, seven for the entire game, 31 points for the entire game. And the reason for that, their efficiency inside 50 was 30%. That's down from 49.6 on the season. It was horrific. The skill level inside 50, first of all, was a disaster. Secondly, the Richmond pressure forced Geelong into long entries inside 50. And the third point was that they didn't have enough targets up there to distract any of the Richmond defenders away from Tom Hawkins. I know Noah Bolter got a fair bit of credit from this game, but going back and watching it through the year, uh, through the week, sorry, when Hawkins got Bolter in one-on-one situations, which I think happened three times for the entire game, every single time Hawkins took the mark and he was able to move Bolter out of the way. So as big as Noah Bolter is, as strong as he is, as impressive as he is, I think if they get one-on-one situations, you're going to see him a little bit more exposed, certainly, than he was in that first game. But to do that, the Cats have to find a way to find other targets inside 50. The guys that have come into the team from that game, there was no Gary Ablett in that last game. There was no Gary Rowan in that last game. And Joel Selwood comes in, which then, as we've seen over the past few weeks, has released Dangerfield at times to go forward. So I think that helps. I think if you add Ablett, Rowan, and Dangerfield to the forward 50, that should at least draw some attention away so Richmond can't feast with the intercept possessions. But the guy, more than any anything that the Cats, if they want to get that efficiency up, the guy more than anyone, they need to engage Dylan Grimes. They have to find a way to get him to be accountable for a player. I don't know who it is. Maybe they go in a defensive role inside 50, but Dylan Grimes is the key. He was best on ground last time. Yeah, and that's you talk about yeah, when Hawkins gets Bolter one-on-one, but that's how Grimes and Vlosten, they'll yeah. work to, to you know, peel off and get those intercepts. So having those players back, likely a more forward time for Dangerfield. Like Gary Rowan's not the greatest mark, but he does... They do kick it to him in uh, aerial mm-hmm. contests, and he's yeah, a player who's playing centre-half forward as like a midfielder, but can take a grab and is in those areas. I think that helps because it makes Grimes and Vlosten more accountable, so they can't just be peeling off consistently. And it also gives the Geelong forwards or midfielders, and we know how slow they move the ball and how deliberate they are in hitting these targets. It gives them more of an opportunity to try and pick out those matchups that work to their to their benefit. If there are other guys there where you know, Grimes doesn't isn't able to set 15 meters off his opponent, knowing that the ball's not going to go into, uh, I'll just pick a name out here because he's not playing uh, Radagalia, like who's less mm-hmm. of a threat to be that number one target. If Dangerfield's there, or if you know, Rowan's around and then Hawkins, then they spread themselves in the right areas. It enables guys like you know, Floston and Grimes to have to pay more attention to who is there. Yeah. You know, 
a direct opponent versus just like, well, you know, 70% of the time this ball's going to Hawk, and so therefore let's let's just shade ourselves onto that side of things. So those inclusions are key. We talked so much about the, the inclusions Richmond had versus their first game versus against Port and the preliminary final. But it hasn't really been mentioned that much about the differences in the Geelong side when they got... As you said, they were smashed by Richmond. Maybe that's why, because it wasn't all that close. It was like, well, maybe Richmond's just clearly better. But there were some pretty key players out of that Geelong team there. What I want to really pay attention to here is stoppage clearances. And we alluded to it a little bit earlier on because Richmond and Geelong, in terms of their center clearance numbers for the year, Geelong averages about 11, Richmond about nine and a half. So it's one and a half a game. It's not huge. It's significant, but it's not huge. But stoppage clearances is massive. 23 per game for Geelong, 17 for Richmond. And that's in large part because Dustin Martin goes into the center for the center clearances and then he buggers off and he doesn't go near the stoppage clearances really. He'll play 20 meters off them, 30 meters off them, and they invariably lose that. They back in their defense, they're back in their pressure to be able to turn the ball over after those clearances and then push it down to Dusty, but he almost invariably is in the middle, and then he pushes out of those clearances and doesn't really take part in those as much, and they don't place as much emphasis on those clearances. Now, if those stoppage clearances get to be equal or or close, I think that spells some real danger for Geelong, as we saw last week, where Richmond was coming up against Port, the best best, stoppage or best clearance differential team in the league, and Richmond actually knocked them off in that area, and that led to to the victory. So that's something that Geelong, they have to take advantage of that that um, that benefit they get around around those stoppages, and if they don't, it, it could be a real problem. Yeah, spot on. And again, in that game that they played a few weeks ago, Geelong actually won the centre clearances ten to two, and the stoppage clearances twenty two to fourteen for an overall thirty two to sixteen yeah, demolition crazy. in the stoppages. So uh, I think what we've seen, particularly in that Port Adelaide game, Dusty was able to get his hands on the ball, and basically any stoppage that was in the forward half of the ground. Even when Martin was playing basically as a half forward, in, in games gone past, you might have seen him hang in the forward 50, hang deeper towards goals. In these games, he seems to be pushing up to the stoppage. And then they almost have uh, five guys around the stoppage. There's more numbers around there. It, it seems like they've been able to neutralize those numbers a little bit more. And particularly against a team like Port Adelaide, because thinking about the guys they have in there, Travis Boak, uh, Ollie Wines. Uh, Tom Rockliffe, huge bodies, big bodies. The Cats are going to be the same. They're going to have Selwood, Dangerfield, Guthrie, uh, these guys around there that are that are hardened bodies. So I, I would expect that Martin, again, will particularly any stoppage in the forward half for Richmond, he will push up to that stoppage, even if he's playing forward, and try and get more numbers around the ball to stop the Cats uh, winning those clearances. Because last time, if there was an area where the Cats really were on top, it was by far the clearances. Yeah, and that's that's a staggering difference in a game that they were so roundly beaten in. <laughs> like to to win the center clearances ten to two, and get beaten as comfortably as you did is pretty wild to me. To, to just uh, as a raw number, there's obviously reasons, and it's why we talk about you know, quality of clearance as well yeah. versus you know and same quality of hitouts. It's not just about getting the raw numbers. You have to be able to you know, do the right thing with those, and that's almost one of the best examples or best illustrations of that that you could find now. Kane, no, no Stanley as well. I'll just jump in. No Stanley oh, yeah. in that game. He's he has become a, a really really important player for the Cats. So you mentioned Radigalia. He played basically as a as a, a one out ruckman in that game. They get Stanley back. Uh, not only a good clearance player, but when you talk about uh, quality of clearances, Stanley is a guy that uh, essentially is is an extra midfielder in there, good on the ground, and that helps sometimes with those with the quality of clearances. 
There's no point me asking you for a tip for this game. Obviously, your team's in the grand final. <laughs> Kane, so let's just look at it a little bit differently. So yeah, you want Geelong to win. You're, you're hoping for Geelong to win. Do you think Geelong is going to win? Whatever it is. But who do you think will be the Norm Smith medalist if Geelong gets up? Well, at the risk of people completely ignoring what I say here, believing that I'm, I'm trying to be uh, unbiased or whatever that the case may be, I've, I will say this. I've seen a lot of tips coming through from uh, experts, media experts and the like, and it seems to me that there is some sort of groundswell of support for the Cats and people tipping the Cats to win this game. Now, I personally find that um, a little ridiculous because I, I think... If you look at this game objectively, if you try and look at this game objectively, I think Richmond are a better team. I think the conditions are probably going to suit Richmond. Funny things happen on grand final, trust me. Anything can happen in this game. I think the Cats can win. But I will say that it's been a little bit surprising to me that the sports, the support the Cats have had in this game. But as far as Norm Smith goes, you can't go dusty. It's too boring. We spent 10 minutes talking about him. He's going to be great. There's a fair chance he could win the medal. Uh, if I have a guy from each team that I, that I would pick... Uh, Mitch Duncan for the Cats. He's been in terrific form, arguably career best season. Fantastic last week, probably best on ground against Brisbane in the prelim last week. And for Richmond, Basha Hawley. Uh, we spoke about guys that can create damage off halfback. Hawley's had a big final series uh, so far, and I, I believe he was actually second yeah. in the Norm Smith both times to Dusty as well. So Basha Hawley probably probably deserves one. Yeah, Hawley was my pick for Richmond as a, as a Norm Smith medalist as well because I think he, he, he was he's been really good since he came back as well in the finals and in past grand finals. Uh, I I do think that Richmond will get the win here. Yeah, I think it's probably. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's three goals. Let's hope it's a little bit closer. That's not a large margin, but I'm, look for you, Kane. I want the Cats to win. If I'm looking at it objectively, um, I think that Richmond will win. But in terms of Norm Smith, yeah, I'd say Hooley for Geelong. I'd I think Duncan's a really strong pick. I've seen a lot of people picking Gary Ablett, which to me feels the people's choice. That's that's all it is. It's people saying, "Oh, look how great it is. He won a premiership and a Norm Smith in his final ever game." Uh, to me, unless he turned something on unbelievable, that would just be one of those votes where you are actually ignoring the best player in the ground just to give it to the guy that you want to give it to. And what does yeah. he need? Four goals. Ma- twenty touches, Ma- four goals. Yeah, well, he gets twenty touches and four goals, then I think that he deserves it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because if he has four goals from eight kicks, you know that's. It's very close to the uh, the Motlop performance from a couple of weeks ago, and you wouldn't have said <laughs> yeah. that Motlop was best on ground. So if he has, yeah. if he, he gives another couple off and, and has twenty touches and has four goals, he even had twenty touches in, in one game this year. I don't think he has. Um, I, my pick for Geelong, it would probably be. I think Cam Guthrie could be an interesting one to yeah. uh, to slide in there. He's been he's super hard around the ball. And we know this game's going to be hotly contested in uh, in terms of contested possession, and he's a guy that can stand out there. It doesn't hurt that. Uh, doesn't hurt that the hair makes him always uh, always very much in your uh, in your field of vision because you see him running through the hair flowing the, the, when he's chucking bodies around he's getting in there so he's he's probably my one um, obviously the, the obvious ones are going to be dusty and uh, and dangerfield but I'll, I'll take uh, Guthrie and Hooley as my two picks I like it yep love Guthrie uh, obviously playing in his first grand final a number of Cats players and this is probably something that's been overlooked because you think of the guys like Selwood and Hawkins and Harry Taylor. And Mitch Duncan played in 2011, and Gary Ablett, obviously. But a uh, number of guys for the Cats playing in their, their first grand final this week. I think Noel Bolter is the only one for Richmond. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's about right. How long has it been since Long's been in the grand final? 
Uh, it's been a long nine years, Josh. A long nine years. <laughs> been tough. Must be must be tough for those of you uh, at Geelong supporters to have to deal with such a long <laughs> drought, such a long grand final drought. It's, it's been it's been tough, but the drought the wait is over finally um, for the Cats fans and uh, the Richmond on the weekend. The grand final is here Saturday night up at the Gabba. I'm pumped. I'm getting uh, getting hot dogs and pies ready to eat at home to to take the full footy experience on Kane. I can't wait. Mate, I, I, I neither can I. I can't believe it's a Saturday night grand final as well. I actually panicked last week because I have to work uh, with uh, NBA.com every Saturday. I work and I, I panicked at first. I was trying to get my shift swapped and then my boss told me, listen, it's a night grand final. Just relax, okay? It might be good for you to work during the day. So could be a long Saturday, but I'm looking forward to it. Kane, guys, subscribe. It's We're 100 episodes in. We made it here to our first grand final on Lockdown AFL. We're not going away, though. We're not going away, Kane, because... The trade period is kicking off, and we can really get into, and maybe, maybe Kane, I'll let you know my thoughts on the on on the trading and free agency mechanism. I, I might give it to myself. I might let you know what I think about that. We're going to talk about all player movement, coaching decisions, breakdown of the grand final from for next week on. We're not going anywhere. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Kane, good luck to your boys. Thank you. I will be here on Monday. Uh, happy or sad? Who knows? Guys, I'm going to leave you today with a shout out to Billy Stretch. <laughs>